I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And good morning, we welcome you to Gospel Dynamite, a Christian broadcast dedicated to the winning of the lost and the edification of God's saints. Gospel Dynamite is a ministry of Asbury Baptist Church located at 218 Asbury Church Road, Seagrove, North Carolina. I did to visit our church on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. Now will you join me in studying the Word of God. You're listening to Gospel Dynamite. I invite you to take your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We're going to look and reference verses 1 through 20 for sake of time. We cannot read all of those verses today, but we will be reading verses 8 through 14. There were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. We have been watching as God's plan to send his lamb to the world has been unfolding. When man fell into sin in the Garden of Eden, God made a promise that a Redeemer would one day come, and this Redeemer would come as the Savior of sinners. All through the Old Testament, God worked to bring this event to pass. Every sacrifice, every ritual of Jewish worship, everything God did was moving steadily toward the moment when the Lamb of God would enter, to, enter the world and pay the price to save men from their sins. I think of one occasion in the Old Testament when a broken-hearted father named Abraham walked up a mountainside with his only son Isaac. He was taking that son to the top of the mountain to offer him to the Lord as a burnt offering. On the way up to that mountain, Isaac asked his father about what they were in fact doing that day. Here's what he said in Genesis chapter 22, verses 6 through 8. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And they were both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. Our text tells us about the night that the Father's promise was fulfilled. It was also a moment when God's promise to send his Redeemer into the world was fulfilled. I want to call your attention to verses 1 through 7 in particular as we see the place involved in the Lamb's provision. 
The fact that Jesus was born in Bethlehem was no accident. In fact, it was predicted years before it came to pass in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. Now, that was common knowledge among those who studied and knew the scriptures. You'll understand that once you see Matthew 2, verses 1 through 6. While it should not surprise us that Jesus was born exactly where the Bible says he would be, the events surrounding his arrival here are amazing. Verse 4 tells us that Mary and Joseph lived in Nazareth. That city is some 70 miles north of Bethlehem. And for the Messiah to be born in the right location, a series of events worked together to bring this to pass. A pagan emperor named Caesar Augustus, living thousands of miles away, issues a decree that all his subjects be registered and taxed. And this order was for a census to be sent out far and wide. And the call is issued in Israel, and Joseph takes Mary and returns to the ancestral of his family, Bethlehem. Now, this may not mean much to you, but it does teach us that Caesar may have been ruling, but God was overruling. God, in his providence worked out all the details necessary so that Jesus might be born where the prophet said he would be. By the way, if he can do that, he can surely take care of our little needs. And verse 7, we're told that the Savior's entrance into this world was anything but glorious. When the young couple arrived in Bethlehem, they discovered that there was no place for them to stay. They found refuge in a stall used to house animals. And when Mary delivered Jesus, she placed the baby in a feed trough. Now, you and I cannot even begin to comprehend the enormity of the truth that's contained here. Imagine, God himself came into the world. That same God who made the universe, that same God where all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom and glory and material, anything, everything is found within the universe. He came into this world as a little baby, but he was not born into the laps of luxury. He was born in the squalor of abject poverty. He humbled himself and entered this world in the form of a servant, according to Philippians 2, 5-8. His humble birth signified the kind of life that Jesus would live all the time that he was here on this earth. At one point in his ministry, he had no place to call home in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 20. When he died, others provided the place and the things necessary for his burial in John chapter 19. The God who made everything and could have had anything chose to live a life of poverty. Why? There's only one answer, because he loved us. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. He did it so that he might understand our burdens. Hebrews 4 Verses 15 and 16. 
And to be honest, I don't like to characterize that passage like that. Because understand, our Savior understands it all. I believe he came to suffer in the way that he did so that we would never be able to look to him and say, you just don't understand. He did it so that he might enter into our suffering, die in our place, lift us out of our circumstances when we call on him by faith. Thank God for the poverty of that place. We're also told in verse 7 that Mary took her baby and wrapped him in swaddling clothes. And people sometimes wrap their infant children in strips of cloth in that time period to help strengthen the limbs and to provide protection for the child. However, it must be pointed out that those strips of cloth were the same kind used to wrap dead bodies and prepare them for burial. Friend, even in his birth, there's a picture of his death. Jesus was born to die. Another reason Jesus was wrapped this way was because those swaddling clothes were to serve as a sign to some seeking shepherds, according to verse 12. Again, the providence of God is on full display. There are no accidents. There are no coincidences. Then we're told that she took the baby and placed him in a manger. The word refers to a feeding trough where animals would find their food. And I don't believe that it's an accident that the bread of life was placed in a feed trough because he came to satisfy the hungry souls of dying men. Therefore, it was appropriate that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, which literally means the house of bread, and that he was laid in a manger. Have you ever tasted heaven's bread? Has the Lord Jesus entered your soul and satisfied your hungry soul? I'm glad that Jesus was born in a manger and not in a palace. I am glad that he was born into humble surroundings and not in the opulence of wealth. Why? Had he been born in a palace, the shepherds we talk about, and we'll talk about more in just a moment, would not have had access to him. But because he was born in poverty and in humble surroundings, he's more approachable to, to the common man. You and I would feel so uncomfortable approaching a Savior reared in the lap of luxury. But we have less trouble coming to a Lord who has walked some of the same hard and difficult paths that we have walked. Secondly, I would show you in verses 8 and verses 15 through 19, I would show you the people involved here in the Lamb's provision. The birth of the Savior did not happen in a vacuum. While the people in Bethlehem were ignorant of the wonderful things happening in their town, God revealed the good news to some poor humble shepherds who were outside the town on the Judean hillsides. In verse 8, we see the Bible simply calls them shepherds. These men were responsible for watching over flocks of sheep. The work was dirty. It was hard. It required the men to be away from their home for long, period, long periods of time as they searched for places 
far in the Judean desert, what's called the wilderness, to graze their flocks. Many times they were, these were often crude and vile men known for their sinful lives, their evil ways. Shepherds were often considered ceremonial unclean because of the duties of their occupation that it required of them. As such, their work prevented them from regular attendance at the temple where they could be cleansed. As a result, these men were considered the lowest of the low. Man always creates definitive classes, and these would have been the lowest of the low class. Of course, it may have been these very men who tended the lambs that would one day be used in temple sacrifices. Yet, it was these men that heard the glad tidings first. It was these men who received the message of peace from the angel of the Lord. And I want to say right here, what a blessing. Men may not care about you. People may look down on you in disgust because of who you are or because of what you have done in life. But I want to say, based upon the word of God, there is a God in heaven who loves you in spite of everything. There is a God who desires to save you if you'll only come to him. And I'm sure glad today the Lord did not hold my past against me. And the Lord did not hold the past of these shepherds against them. It was a very adamant picture specifically to Israel. You think you have everything right. You think you are in the opulence of God's favor. But let me tell you something. The message first came to the lowest of the low. Why? God so loved the world. Scripture doesn't say that God so loved the cleanest. God so loved the most financially bound. God so loved the most culturally great. God so loved the elect of the elect. No, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ came not for the rich, not for the poor. Jesus Christ came for the lost. Again, as soon as these men heard the news of the Savior's birth, they leave the sheep on the hillsides, and they run into the town of Bethlehem to find the Lord Jesus. And when they arrive, they find everything to be just as the angels have said. What a picture of grace. Regardless of a person's past or how low they've fallen in life, there is still hope in Jesus for them. You see, the Lord turns no one away, but he invites all who will come to meet him and be saved by the grace of God. Regardless of your station in life, if you come to Christ, he will save your soul. Don't let some sin, don't let some situation stand between you and heaven. Come to Christ because he will not turn you away. John 6 and verse 37. 
As soon as they realize the magnitude of the things that they've experienced, they begin to share the news with everyone they meet. They tell everyone about the baby in the manger who is Christ the Lord. Now, of course, the people who hear them are astonished to hear shepherds talking about such spiritual matters. But I th- I'd like to think that some heeded the message and went to see for themselves. You see, one of the blessings of the gospel of grace is that it's too good to keep quiet about. As soon as you experience its power, you want others to experience it as well. In fact, those who know the good news of salvation through Christ are under divine obligation to share the good news with everyone they meet as they pass through life. That's what Mark 16, 15 is all about. That's what Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20 is all about. That is what Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 is all about. We have a Savior and we have a message that's worth sharing. It is the only message worth sharing. Now, thirdly, I'd show you in verses 9 through 14, as well as verse 20, we see the praise involved in the Lamb's provision. As those shepherds go about the business of another boring night with their flocks, something astonishing takes place. There is the appearance of a heavenly entourage bearing the good news that heaven has invaded earth and nothing would ever be the same. Verse 9, suddenly the angel of the Lord appears above these shepherds and no doubt the angel is blazing with the brightness of heaven itself and like a flash he lights up the night sky. The shepherds are instantly terrified by their heavenly visitor. The angel does not leave them in fear for long. He begins to speak, and as he does, he shares with the shepherds a message from heaven that earth has been waiting to hear for 4,000 years. He tells them that the hope of the ages has been provided. He tells them that a Savior has been born. He tells them that the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, for whom the world has waited for since the Lord told Eve he was coming in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, has arrived. And he tells them that the Lord has been born in Bethlehem. He also tells them where to find the child and how to recognize them as they arrived where he was. What an announcement. The world has, has been wallowed in the grip of sin for thousands of years, waiting for the appearance of the one who would sever the bonds of sin and deliver men from the curse. Now he has come. The wait is over. Salvation will be accomplished just as God had promised it would be. And the announcement was made to those humble shepherds going about the ordinary business of their lives. You see, you'll notice that the angel made the announcement personal to the shepherds. Unto you is born, in verse 11. 
Thank God the message is a personal message. It was given to those shepherds, but it was made available to all, Revelation 22 and verse 17. When God breaks in on the ordinary events of your life, do not turn him away. You never know when God will take the routine and the ordinary and transform it into a supernatural event in your life. And when he does... It's a call for you to receive him by faith and be saved by his grace. And verses 13 and 14, as soon as this angel delivers heaven's message to the shepherds, he is joined by a great multitude of angels who praise God and declare the truth that the message is indeed for all men. It's interesting here that when the angels appear, the content of their statements are designed to praise and magnify the name of the Lord. They did not sing about Santa Claus. They did not sing about Frosty or Rudolph. They lifted their voices and they thundered forth. Praise to God Almighty. Now we could take a lesson from that during the Christmas season. After the shepherds, in verse 20, hear the message and meet the master... They return to their flocks, rejoicing as they go. Their voices are also lifted up to God in heaven to praise him for his glorious gift. But notice the difference between their praise and the praise of the angels. The angels praise the Lord for what he has done for others. In verse 11, the shepherds praise the Lord for what he has done for them. In verse 20, there is a vast difference. I'm glad you're saved for all that the Lord has done for you but I'm glad the Lord has done something in my heart for which I can praise him as well now first we have the praise of convinced hearts when they heard the message no doubt those shepherds were amazed maybe a little skeptical as well but when they found Christ the child just as the angels said that they would, when they met him for themselves, they could praise him from a heart that had been convinced of truth. I was brought up to believe the Christmas story. All of my life I heard of Jesus being born in Bethlehem, and I believed it was true. And that story has always brought joy to my heart, even when I was lost. However, I will never forget the day when I met him by myself, just like the preachers and the Bible said that I could. And when I did, I could praise him because I knew it was real. I knew he lived. I knew that he was my redeemer. I could praise him because he had become more than a story. He had become my savior. Now, my friend, that's a testimony. But also we notice the praise of changed hearts, not just convinced hearts. Now, it must have been something to watch a group of raw, bone, rough, neck, crude shepherds leave that town rejoicing and praising the name of the Lord. No doubt the last time they came through Bethlehem, they had been cursing and acting like the sinners that they were. Now they are new men, and they are excited about it. They cannot keep their praises in, and they return to their flocks while their shouts fill the night air. My friend, that's what meeting Christ will do for you he may not make you shout, at least in this life, but he will change you, according to 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. He will give you a new life, a new way of life to go with it. And when he comes in, he changes everything. 
And when he does, there's going to be some excitement about it. There's going to be some joy about it. After all, when he saves your souls, he changes you. And according to 1 Peter 1 and verse 8, he fills you with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And some of that ought to leak out sometime. And when Jesus takes you and saves you and changes you, you'll want to praise him for what he did and what he's done in your life. Wouldn't you agree with me the Christmas story is not only a special story, it's a true story, that God would send his darling son Jesus into this world to die for sinners is a blessing beyond description. That he would love us to the level of coming to die for us is amazing beyond the power that words can describe. Of course, it's nothing more than a story until you experience the power of the Lamb of God in a personal way. You may enjoy hearing the Christmas story, and you may even like Christmas time, and you may even enjoy the Christmas music. But you've missed the real meaning altogether if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. Until you have received the Lamb of God as your personal Savior, and until you know the power of his salvation, you'll never fully and really understand Christmas and the wonder of what God did when he provided his Lamb for the sins of the world. I leave you today with this question. Are you in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? If you are, then you know what I'm talking about. If you're not, you can come to know him by faith. Will you do that today? Will you embrace heaven's lamb as the savior of your soul? The lamb was provided for you. But he'll do you no good unless you come to him. Will you come? Will you come to him? What a blessing to be saved around the Christmas season, the very season that celebrates the coming of our Lord to die for our soul.